really excited to um, introduce to you our guest preacher this morning, um, Paul Miller. Paul has been personally a favorite author and speaker of mine for many, many years. Um, he runs a ministry called See Jesus, which helps to basically for people who don't know Christ or who do know Christ to see Jesus, to experience him more visibly, through, especially through inductive Bible study. He is the author of Sonship, um, the discipleship course. He's the author of the book Love Walked Among Us. He's the author of one, my, one of my top favorite books of all time, The Praying Life. Um, and he has been here doing that seminar this weekend. I've been really grateful to have him here. Um, he and his wife, Jill, have six children and 12 grandchildren. Is that right? You need to update your website. It says nine, you know. No. <laughs> 12 grandchildren. Uh, and they live in the Philadelphia area. So let me pray for him as he comes. Father God, we thank you for our brother Paul. Thank you that um, he is servant who is submissive to the word of God and who seeks to help us hear Jesus through it. We pray that you would bless him and anoint him this morning as we continue to learn these weeks about the generosity of our king. May the words of his mouth be your words so that we not only hear the word of God today, but respond to it with obedience and love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Corey. Let's turn to page 13 and let me read the text from Luke 16. And it's also up there, or most of it's up there. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham... Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. And in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This uh, parable of Jesus is a remarkable uh, story. And this is our weekend here at Third Church for the artist thing on Friday night. So it's fun to just look at the artistry of the way uh, Jesus has designed this story. And uh, he sets up in the very beginning a number of contrasts between the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, one of the interesting ones, so you've got rich man and Lazarus. One of the things that kind of jumps out at you is uh, Lazarus has a name, the rich man doesn't. So we're wondering what's going on there. 
Partly what's going on is the name Lazarus means God helps. And that's what you would have heard if you had heard, if, if you had met Lazarus there uh, by the gate of the rich man. Oh, what's your name? God helps. Oh, really? You know, so it, 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 it could make you cynical. It could, you know, you know, is the, you know, is your name a joke? Is this how, you know, what God does with people? Uh, so that's one contrast. Uh, another contrast is uh, uh, the, the, the rich man is clothed in fine purple and linen. And the, the word there for fine linen is that really expensive Egyptian stuff you might have seen in art history class or somewhere that was so, she, it was a sheer kind of linen. So he's driving around town in his Lamborghini and tuxedo every day. Uh, that's a little overstated, but it sort of sounds like that, uh, uh, especially to first century ears. And what's Lazarus clothed with? He's covered with sores, okay? And the rich guy isn't doing anything to help Lazarus. So if you're listening to this, you're just getting really irritated at this rich guy. Uh, and, and not only that, look at the table. Uh, he's feasting sumptuously every day. Uh, which immediately to the Jewish ears, you I mean, he's not even letting his servants off on the Sabbath. Uh, so he's making his uh, servants work all the time, and usually feasts were occasional, even for a wealthy person, but this guy's laying it on thick. And Lazarus, what's the contrast with the food here? Uh, Lazarus wants to be fed from what fell from the rich man, and the rich man isn't even doing that. Uh, so, uh, the, the one thing that is caring for the uh, poor Lazarus is the wealthy man's dogs. They're likely his dogs. They, you know, they, dogs are not greatly loved in the, uh, the Middle East, and the only one who would keep them would be a wealthy man as guard dogs. And you can actually see Lazarus's gentle character emerge because uh, he's so gentle that they come and they even lick his sores. Uh, so, and, and, and Jesus, uh, the, this word here, moreover, even, is meant to get you to contrast the behavior of the wealthy man with the behavior of the dogs. Like the dogs are even helping the guy. He won't do it, but the dogs are helping. So at this point, you're really getting irritated at this uh, wealthy guy. And let me uh, I, I actually just pause here and reflect on the nature of wealth. And what I'm going to tell you now about wealth is completely value neutral. Uh, and explain, you have to ignore that word disease I have written down there, but I'm going to explain the letters kind of as I go through. Um, and let me do the letter I and the letter S. Um, and the, the word disease is kind of an acronym for the danger of wealth, um, that wealth, by its almost its very nature, isolates you, that's the I, and it elevates you. Uh, let me just give a very simple example from uh, our life. Uh, we've been in mission work uh, most of our lives, at, but my wife has been very good at buying and selling our houses. So our first house that we bought in 74 was a row house in Philadelphia 
for $16,000. And uh, you could talk to your, you know, our backyard was a, a 20 by 15 section of concrete. And, uh, and, and you could, when you did the dishes at night, you could talk to your neighbor who was about 15 feet away without raising your voice. And, and my wife would do that all the time. She would be doing the dishes, I was doing something else, and she'd have a chat with her neighbor. Now, we, we sold that house uh, five years later for like $29,000, and we kept doing that progressively over the next four houses. And God blessed us. Every time we moved, God, we, we prayed about it, the Lord led us, and every time we, we made more money with each house. Second house, uh, we bought for 54000 and uh, we were about 30 feet, uh, 30 to 40 feet away from our neighbors, and we had a shared driveway. Uh, third house, we were there 15 years, uh, we had our own driveway, and we were about 100 feet away from our neighbor. Our fourth house, which we're in now, we're about 300 feet from our neighbor, and, he, and each time the driveway got longer, and we got further away from our neighborhood. And, and let me just tell you this. There was no sin in what we did, but the very nature of bringing wealth into a family system, anything, one of the things it does, it naturally isolates you. It creates gates. So kind of the summary of what I'm talking about uh, that we'll get it. Let me just give you a summary of the point of this parable is that wealth without generosity is toxic. Does that make sense? Wealth without generosity is toxic. And I'm just, you know, a modest income uh, missionary, and God blessed us in this area of our life, and we have to really guard our hearts against that. Uh, So wealth without generosity is toxic. Uh, And what this parable is, it comes from a whole series of other parables and things in Luke. It's an invitation to love. Uh, And what it's showing us, it's showing us what happens to you if you don't live a life that doesn't step outside its gates. Uh, And and, and there's a hundred ways of doing it. Just think of the, the, and and this is a very clear pattern that Mark has picked up from the ministry of Jesus. uh, Beginning with the widow of Nain in Luke 7, that Jesus looks at her, feels compassion, and then acts. To help her. And then Luke 10 in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite look away. The Good Samaritan looks, feels compassion, and then acts. In the prodigal son, the father looks at the prodigal son, he uh, feels compassion, and then he's act. And what the community is doing here is they're trying to force the rich man to look. And here's how they do it. They they are laying Lazarus at the gate. And we're not even sure if the rich man sees Lazarus, although we're going to find out in just a minute. Uh, Because let's go to the second part of this and see what happens to the rich man uh, when he's... uh, Um, in hell. Okay. And again, Jesus is just making this up. I mean, this is not like a description of how hell and heaven are. It's it's a parable. It's a story. Um, Okay. 
Finally, look what the rich man does. Finally, he looks. And, you know, we were wondering if he even knew who Lazarus was. Yeah, he knew because, look, he looks and he recognizes Lazarus. He remembers the guy. He's the guy he looked away from. Now he is forced to look. And it's kind of interesting how he uh, uh, relates to Lazarus. We would expect, given this guy's bad track track record, that he would use this as an opportunity to apologize to Lazarus. You know, it would, might be a good place to start, okay? I'm sorry, you know, I should have given you some of the crumbs from my table. But no, <clears throat> he actually directs Abraham to send Lazarus to serve him. He's not stopped being a rich man. And we get a clue why he's nameless, because his wealth has so isolated him, he can't see Lazarus even now. He treats him as a non-person the same way he treated him as a non-person in life, as an object. He's still treating Lazarus as an object. Uh, And that's why he's nameless. This man, his wealth has defined him. And that's where the D comes in. Uh, Wealth without generosity makes you demanding. And I'll give you a quick example of it. How are you doing when you get rerouted to an Indian call center in Bangalore, you know, Bangalore, India? You know, <laughs> you know it just, it just, it's so easy to get irritated at someone that's lower than you and doesn't understand you. And we don't even know it, which leads to the E, that first E, it elevates you. So it makes you demanding, it isolates you, it separates you, and it, um, oh, that E was actually a different E. Uh, uh, That was uh, accelerates, but we can use, we could always use another E there at the bottom. Um, But just one quick, just just really quickly on on the uh, wealthy man's life, that notice how busy he is. It is one of the characteristics when you add wealth to a system, it speeds your life up. And notice how how Lazarus is just sitting there. It's one of the joys of going to the developing world for a missions trip. You go with people whose lives are slower than yours and often more in touch with God. The very speed of uh, our lives uh, shuts us down from relationship with one another uh, and uh, you know, the, most Africans I know do relationships the way we make money. Uh, it, it is a gift to us to learn how to slow down. And that's what he never did. He never stopped his little cart or whatever to care for, uh, for Lazarus. Okay, so the rich guy hasn't changed. But there's more that Jesus is communicating with this in this parable. Watch a couple of these other patterns. And then I'm going to show you three things here. And then I'm going to show you what Jesus is doing with them. He had a gate here that kept people like Lazarus separate. And what has the gate become? The gate has become a great chasm. Okay? Let me show you another thing that's happening here. Uh, the, uh, he, uh, the dogs licking uh, Lazarus's um, 
their, their tongues, licking his sores, was the only source of comfort that Lazarus had. And now the wealthy man's tongue is famished. Okay? You can see the poetry that Jesus is kind of designing here. Uh, another one here is uh, the rich man's table, which he would not let Lazarus come to. Now, you, we can't, there's no mention of a table in heaven, but every first century listener would immediately know that Jesus is talking about a table because the way uh, Abraham was far off and Lazarus at his side, they are lying in Greek style uh, uh, around a low table. Uh, the, if you remember the old King James said, Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. It's not like he's curled up here like a, a little kid, the way Jacob was being held in the uh, earlier service. But he's, uh, he's, um, uh, he, he's leaning like John, the way John the disciple was at the Last Supper up against Jesus. It's a, just a, a very close, intimate fellowship there. And so uh, he refused the table that he refused in his life now becomes the table he can't partake of. And what all these things, this is a classic Old Testament or Hebrew way of looking at life. And what it is, is that life is a path or a journey. That holiness is something you become as you go on a walk. That what you do today is shaping what you become tomorrow. And this is all, I mean, just go through the book of Proverbs and Psalms and underline every reference to walk or way. Lord, lead me in your path. I mean, me just think, start with Psalm 1, uh, getting on the right path. Uh, there, there's, that, that holiness is a direction. That my life right now is on a path, okay? And I, I, here, here's a great example of how our world's perspective denies that and says there is no path. In fact, every temptation is kind of a, uh, I mean, just think about, you know, eat the, you know, the extra dessert you had last night uh, or, or whatever. You know, that puts you on a path of weight gain. Right? You know, so we know that. And so we, you know, we, we, we try to get that drummed in our heads. Okay, I can't, as my wife who's been to Weight Watchers forever, a moment on the lips, forever on the hips. That's a path. Okay? That's just quoting her from Weight Watchers. Okay? Um, I think one of the best examples of that is the uh, Las Vegas marketing slogan of 10 years ago, what stays... What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's pure baloney. (laughs) Because when you go to Vegas and have anonymous sex with someone, uh, that changes who you are. You come back a different person. That Vegas changed you. It puts you on a new path. And the path that this wealthy man has been going on is shaping his soul. And uh, this is no different than Paul's uh, brief comment in uh, Galatians 
five, six, where what you sow, you reap. At, you know, at the end of this great epistle on grace, he just says, well, don't forget there's a deep structure of life and that, that the things you do today, what you sow, are going to create the kind of person you're going to be 50 years from now. And C.S. Lewis has some great stuff on this in The Great Divorce. And, and the way he describes it is, let's say you have a problem being grumpy, you know, with call centers or drivers that cut you out uh, or, or things like that. You are occasionally grumpy. Or maybe you just had a bad start in the morning and you're grumpy in the morning. And C.S. Lewis says you don't have to do anything. And pretty soon what will happen is you will go from being occasionally grumpy to the grump. Okay? In other words, grumpiness created a path in your heart where that sin became you. And then everything began to irritate you. And then he says, you know, add a thousand years to that and you've got hell. And what, what, this is another way of looking at what Paul says in Romans 1, three different times, God gave them up. God gave this rich man up. He let him be, he let him be shaped by this dangerous thing of wealth without generosity is toxic. Now, let me come to the defense of if you're feeling a little uncomfortable with this, let me come to the defense of the whole idea of being rich. Um, Jesus is not a Marxist. He is not uh, saying that, uh, that wealth is inherently wrong. And in fact, and here's just a great example of that, Jesus has 27 parables where he features a wealthy person. And in only two of those parables... The rich fool, and this parable here, is he negative about the wealthy person? Uh, We wouldn't be in this church if wealthy people in this building hadn't blessed us with donations. My ministry wouldn't be blessed. Your, you know, ministries that you participate in wouldn't be blessed with that. It it is what what Jesus is, and what, what is interesting, when Jesus wants to describe his heavenly father, he uses a wealthy, generous person. I mean, the, the, the father in, uh, in those 25 parables where you've got a, uh, a, a wealthy person, it's that person's generosity or wisdom that in some way reflects God. So these, it, it, it's like a razor-thin knife edge that on the one hand, wealth without generosity is toxic, and yet wealth with generosity is one of the closest visual things we have to the heart of God. And it's just a beautiful way to let the gospel kind of work into our lives. So just to to summarize here, um, what uh, wealth without generosity uh, can uh, do to us is uh, it uh, can make us demanding. This is our word disease. Uh, it can isolate us, it can separate us, it can elevate us, uh, it, can, a, it can accelerate us, and it can, the, the final one is what hit you, is it can make us selfish, and I haven't figured out what to do with the last E. 
So you fill in the blank. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's one of the, the, the delights of uh, this um, uh, poetry is, is, is the, this, is, it, it's kind of like a poem that Jesus, it, it's a poem that is meant to pierce our hearts uh, and to create the image of God. It is the story, you've just had the story of the prodigal son. This is the, pro, the, the story of the prodigal wealthy man. And it's showing you that life is a path. It is not a story of grace. Luke is filled with stories of grace, but it, it balances out in some ways the prodigal son. Grace could come in and interrupt this man at any point prior to uh, uh, his death. Uh, and what grace lets you do, grace puts you back on the holiness path. It leads you, grace is not an excuse to go to Vegas and do what you want. Uh, when you've done that in some way in your life, grace puts you back on the path, and God, grace can meet you anywhere on the path. There's no hole so deep that God can't rescue of. But still, it's really good to get the, the medicine of the Word of God. Lord, keep me on the right path. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you. Uh, the words of Augustine for your word uh, that pierces our heart, and we say we love you. And I pray, Father, that you would keep us from uh, the danger of isolating ourselves from the other. I pray, like your son, we would break through the gates of our life and love someone this week who's very different from us. Amen.